You're listening to audio from Citizens Church, located in Plano, Texas. For more information about this ministry or to give to this ministry, please visit citizenschurch.com. Good morning. If you have a Bible, turn to Proverbs chapter 2. We're going to be in verses 16 and 17 this morning. Uh, Really, we're going to be spending most of our time unpacking a phrase that we find in verse 17 on um, marriage. If you're new, my name's Jamin. Welcome. If you're watching online, Thank you for joining us. We love Jesus. We love that you are here. Uh, We are in our third week uh, on wisdom and marriage. So at a high level, we're in a series on wisdom and have been for some time and will be for some time. The last two weeks and this morning will be on marriage. And and I just want to say at the very beginning, uh, what I'm mindful of is I know that not everyone here um, is married. And the passages that we are in, and, and I believe where God has us this morning, is mostly targeted toward husbands and wives, and what that can do is that can have an unintended consequence where um, for, for you, if you're not married, uh, then you feel like this doesn't apply, or even um, you feel a bit isolated by the topic. And so in light of that, here's my, my promise to you, is my promise is that while a lot of this will be targeted towards husbands and wives, where we're going and where we will end is not on marriage, which only applies to some, but uh, on the good news of Jesus, which applies to all, married or not. We put Proverbs uh, the wisdom that Proverbs teaches around marriage, we put it into a sentence that we've been unpacking, and the sentence will be on the screen behind me. Marriage is a God-given, covenant-keeping, intimate friendship. If you take the wisdom that we find in Proverbs that's affirmed other places in the Bible on marriage, marriage is a God-given, covenant-keeping, intimate friendship. So two weeks ago, God-given means it's from God, it's defined by God, it's beautified by God. Last week, I thought Tamarcus did such a brilliant and faithful job showing us that marriage is covenant-keeping. It's a promise between husband and wife that points to the promise that God made uh, with his people. And because of that covenant that we're all invited into, those who are involved in a married covenant, we choose to cherish one another. This morning, we'll spend all of our time on the last part. Marriage is intimate friendship. And I really only have one point this morning. Don't get excited, it'll take me a long time to make this one point, but the one point, it's really um, encouragement, admonition, Uh, for some it maybe even might be a warning, but but here it is, don't forsake your friend. Marriage is intimate friendship, if you're here and you're married, husband, wife, don't forsake your friend. It'll take us a bit to get there. I think the idea of marriage as friendship might be unfamiliar to some because it's unfamiliar around us in the culture. There's a show on Disney Plus called Bluey. Anybody? It's incredible. It's a great show. Uh, our kids love Bluey. And by our kids, I mean I love Bluey. It is so good. Sometimes we'll be watching it and the kids will leave and go do different things. And I'm just dialed into the show and Carrie will come in and see me alone watching the cartoon, and she'll be like, are you having fun? And I'll be like, don't judge me. So um, there's an episode on Bluey called Born Yesterday, and the dad, Bandit, is this dad that's always down to have fun, and so he always plays games with his kids. And um, in this particular game, Born Yesterday, he acts like he was born yesterday. And he has no idea what's going on, and he doesn't know what to call things, and so he walks around the house, and uh, his daughters, Bluey and Bingo, they teach him about life. And so they say, this is your house, and you live here, and we're your daughters, and this is your couch. And he walks outside, and he acts like he's never seen the sun before. He's, like, terrified of the sun, and the girls explain, that's the sun. It's a star. It warms the earth. And something happens in the roller home 
every time after an episode of Bluey ends, my girls will look to me and they'll say, Dad, can we play that game? And what I hear them saying is, Dad, will you please be the kind of dad we've always wanted you to be, right? Because <laughs> the dad in the show, it's just so unfair. He has limitless energy and wit and creativity. But the episodes are only like 12 minutes. And anybody can keep that up for 12 minutes. It's so unrealistic. But I don't want to be showed up by a cartoon dog dad. So I always say yes. And a few weeks ago, after the episode Born Yesterday, the girls were like, can we play Born Yesterday? Um, and so we did. And so I acted like I was born yesterday and didn't know anything about anything. And we walked around the house and the girls taught me what things were. I'm your daughters and this is your house and this is a couch and all that. And it goes on for much longer than 12 minutes every time I do that. And then Carrie walked in the room and I said, who's that? And my daughter said, that's your wife. And I said, what's a wife? And she said, that means you're married. And I said, are we friends? And she goes, no, you're not friends. You're married. Now, I think what she meant was that you're not, you know, just friends. Marriage is different than friendships. But I think like in that innocent misunderstanding, you hear something that's really common, an idea that's really common around us. No, you're not friends, you're married. The, the picture, picture that we often get is you've got two different kinds of relationships out there. You've got people who are in love, and then you have people who are friends, but that's not the same thing. So there are relationships where people are romantic together, and they're in love with one another, and they sleep with one another, and that's around us, and maybe they go on to get married together, and then there are relationships where people are friends. They hang out together, they have mutual interests, they're there for one another when life is really tough and they share what's going on in their life. But those are two different relationships. Those are two different things. They're not the same. And to go back to a few weeks ago, all of that is happening within a culture that is, has this hyper-embellished view of romance where we want the experience of falling in love without the cost of actually loving someone. And so a common thought about marriage is a, a need to find someone to fall in love with a less common idea around marriage is I need to find someone to be best friends with. And in the Bible, it's one and the same. Marriage is, covenant, or is from God, it's God-given. Marriage is covenant-keeping, it's founded on the promises we made, and marriage is intimate friendship. What the Bible would say is that marriage is someone that you have both fallen for and are friends with, and it brings that into one relationship, and it called, calls it marriage. One of the places we see this idea in the Bible is in Proverbs chapter 2, verse 17. So I'll read 16 and 17 to give us a bit of context. It says this, So you will be delivered from the forbidden woman, from the adulteress with her smooth words, who forsakes the companion of her youth and forgets the covenant of her God. Forsakes the companion of her youth. That's the phrase that we'll spend all of our time on this morning. Pause with me before we get there and remember what we said about Proverbs. This is really important for getting the Bible right and honoring the Bible, uh, what it means in context. When we're learning about marriage in Proverbs, we are mostly in passages where marriage is used as a metaphor to speak about something bigger than marriage, namely to speak about our relationship between wisdom and between folly. So just to give you an idea, there's another proverb, Proverbs 7, 4, and 5. It uses similar language, but listen to what it says. Say to wisdom, you are my sister, and call insight your intimate friend to keep you from the forbidden woman, from the adulteress with her smooth words. So the intimate friend in chapter 7, verse 4, is wisdom. The invitation is marry wisdom. Make wisdom your intimate friend. And that's for all of us, whether married or not. Regardless of marital status, all of us are invited to 
to wed wisdom. In Proverbs, the prize is not marriage, the prize is wisdom. So hear me, if you're single, you used to be married, you're single, you're waiting to get married, you're single, you'll never be married, your life is not less full, it's not less meaningful. As a Christian, you are participating as fully in the story of God as anyone else is. In fact, the single person who is pursuing wisdom is living more fully and more faithfully than the married couple who worships each other. Life is not found in marital status. Life is found in Jesus. Jesus was single and lived the most full life of any human in history, and he invites all of us, married or not, to wed wisdom and to, and to walk in his love. That's the big idea behind the, the, the marriage passages in Proverbs. Having said that, when Proverbs talks about marriage, even if it's a metaphor, what it says about marriage is true. So in verse 16 and 17, the wisdom it offers is about more than marriage, but it's not about less. I love how Tamarcus said it last week. He said, we are in these passages, we're mining the metaphor for the truths about marriage. And if we mine the metaphor in this phrase, it says, who forsakes the companion of her youth, we learn an important truth about marriage. It's friendship. It's intimate friendship. The word companion in Hebrew is a Hebrew word that I cannot pronounce. I tried but what it means is it means closest friend. You find it other places in Proverbs, like Proverbs 17, 9. Whoever covers an offense seeks love, but he who repeats a matter separates close friends. It's the same word. There are a few Hebrew words for friend, but when you're trying to describe a friend that's your closest friend, it's like the English equivalent to best friend, you use this word that we find. And sometimes it's used to talk about friends who are not married, but here in chapter 2, it's used in the context of marriage, and because it's used in the context of marriage, it gives us an ideal for marriage, God's design for marriage, that husband and wife are supposed to be really close friends, best friends. The promise made between husband and wife is a promise to be a faithful friend. Now, that friendship is unique. There are some things about the marriage friendship that are true that are not true about other friendships that can even be incredibly close. Like you get passages in Proverbs about marriage like this. These kinds of passages are all over Proverbs. 5, 18 through 19 says, May your fountain be blessed, and may you rejoice in the wife of your youth. A loving doe, a graceful deer, may her breasts satisfy you always. May you ever be captivated by her love. Oh, wow, you're all looking at me. <laughs> okay, everyone's paying attention. Um, verses like these are why we get, somebody after the nine said, hey, Jamin, you went from talking about Bluey to talking about sex way too quick. So if that was a turn, then forgive me. But verses like these are why we need the adjective intimate to describe the kind of friendship married people have. Like this is clearly talking about sexual intimacy, but see something. Even in a passage like this, there's something more than that going on. It says rejoice in the wife of your youth. Rejoice, celebrate, delight in. Those are emotion words. It describes an emotional intimacy. May you ever be captivated by her love. That word captivated, it means intoxicated. It's the only time in Proverbs that the word is used in a positive sense. It's probably the only time in the Bible it's used in a positive sense. But the point is this. Uh, just like when someone's intoxicated, everything they do is influenced by the alcohol. When you are married... When you are intimate friends, everything you do is influenced by the friendship, captivated by it. Everything you do as a spouse should reveal, I am captivated by my intimate best friend. Look, I, I know we need more space than we have to talk about this, 
Um, the Bible teaches that sex and all sexual activity is reserved for marriage. And at some point in the series, we'll take a morning or a few mornings to talk about wisdom and sexuality to give that topic the space it deserves because it brings up all kinds of questions. But what I just want us to see here, in light of where we are this morning, even in marriage, the relationship that God reserves for sexual intimacy, even there it's intended to be an outworking of relational intimacy. So like the spouse who wants sex but withholds kindness, that's not what it means to be captivated by your spouse. That's not how married friends treat each other. Marriage is intimate friendship, but that intimacy is more than physical. Rejoice in the wife of your youth. Be always captivated in her love. It's two people who are physically, emotionally, spiritually intimate. And what do you call people? who enjoy one another and delight in one another and give thought to one another in all they do, you call them friends. They share intimate friendship. Here's how Tim Keller says it. Marriage is not basically romance garnished with friendship. It is basically friendship garnished with romance. It's not basically romance and attraction and friendship is thrown in as a wonderful little option, a wonderful little plus if you can get it. Rather... Biblically, marriage is essentially friendship with romance garnishing and flavoring it. It's friendship and romance, attraction, that's the flavor, to use Keller's words. And one of our problems is that we view marriage, with how we view marriage now, is that we expect marriage to be sustained by the flavor and not by the friendship. Marriage is not friendly intimacy, marriage is intimate friendship. So let me tease this out a bit more by telling you about a a conversation I have every so often. Um, A guy is dating a girl or a girl is dating a guy and they come to me and they ask me, how do I know if this is the kind of person that I should marry? Um, How do I know if if we'd be good together? How do I know if we would make a good marriage together? And so I'll ask questions about that question. And the first question back is always, do they love Jesus? It's the most important question. Not just would they say that they're a Christian, but there, is there an abiding with Jesus? Is there a love for Jesus that manifests itself as a pursuit of God and his people, a self-denial? Do they love Jesus? And here's why. To go back to, to last week, our love for one another in all of our relationships, especially marriage, our love for one another does not come from the other person. It comes from God. Um, we love because he first loved us. The way Tamarcus said it was, if your spouse has to buy your love, they'll never be able to afford it. The love that we offer in marriage is the love that we have first received from Jesus that he himself paid for in his death and resurrection. And he lavishes on us so that we as Christians are now rich in his love. He saved us, he is sanctifying us, he loves us, we love him, and only out of the love that we are rich in in Christ can we truly love someone else, especially a spouse. So my daughter, she's nine, she made a list of what would need to be true about a guy before she married him, which I have a lot of feelings about. Uh, on her list was uh, he has to love dogs. Um, he, ha- he can't love cats, sorry. Uh, he has to listen to me. Uh, this one, he has to be better at fixing things than my dad is, <laughs> which is just unnecessary. Right? True, but unnecessary. And then she had a bunch of other things. And at the top of the list, though, she wrote, he has to love Jesus. Now, I don't know about everything else on that list, but I do know that on anyone's list, that has to be the top. Number one, do they love Jesus? When considering, should I marry this person? So connected to that, it assumes the person I'm having the conversation with also loves Jesus. 
Loving Jesus means following him and keeping his commandments. And connected to that, it assumes that they share God's view of marriage. So number one is loaded with a lot. Do they love Jesus? But number two, hey, how do I know if, if, if we'd have a good marriage? How do I know if this is someone I should marry? Do they love Jesus? Number two, are you friends? Is this person your friend? Well, what about attraction? That's really important. It is. Uh, what about, like, circumstances, you know, whether they have a job or whether financially it could work out? That's important. All that matters. But none of that matters if you're not friends. None of it. Are you friends? Can you see your friendship growing closer and closer in marriage? Will they be a friend to you, and will you be a friend to them, even if some of the, the flavor fades, because it usually does? Like, right now, there's excitement in the relationship, and there's fun dates, and there's the zeal of new love. Is there friendship underneath that? Because attraction and excitement and all that, that's great for starting relationships, but it's friendship that sustains a relationship. And so maybe they ask, and maybe you're, you're wondering, how do I know if we're friends? Or what does friendship in a marriage look like? Is it we like the same movies, and we share some of the same hobbies, and it's easy to have conversation together? Biblical friendship is deeper than all that. Biblical friendship is two things. I am with you, and I am for you. That's what makes friends friends. I'm with you, and I'm for you. If we just take what Proverbs teaches about friends and apply that to marriage, it's I'm with you and for you. I'm with you means I'm loyal to you. I'm staying with you. Proverbs 18.24 says this. A man of many companions may come to ruin, but there's a friend who sticks closer than a brother. Proverbs 17.17 17, a friend loves at all times, and a brother is born for adversity. True friendship uh, has a substance to it that can withstand changing circumstances. It can withstand difficulty. So a man of many companions may come to ruin. Like you can have a ton of acquaintances and still end up lonely because when it became hard to be your friend, you realized they weren't actually your friend. But there's a kind of friend that never leaves in a good way. There's a, there's a kind of friend who loves at all times, like when it's difficult, when it's painful, when it's a season of joy, when it's a season of loss and grief, all times they stick closer than a brother. And that's true for all friendships. In a married friendship, it means I'm with you. I'm not going anywhere. And then it means I'm for you. Proverbs 27, 5 and 6, it's just so packed full of wisdom. Verse 5 says, better is open rebuke than hidden love. Faithful are the wounds of a friend. Profuse are the kisses of an enemy. A rebuke is something that happens when someone needs to change. Something's happening in their life. Uh, there's something that needs to be confronted about them. They're hurting themselves. They're hurting others. And so that's what a rebuke is for. And the wounds of a friend in verse 6 are connected to the open rebuke in verse 5. The wounds of a friend are when a friend says something that's hard for you to hear, but you need to hear. It's, it's, it's words that are spoken to bring about change. A kiss is good. It's something that's good. But when it's from an enemy, it doesn't mean anything because they don't want good for you. So the act is empty. So maybe we could explain the verse like this. Being confronted by a friend is better than being affirmed by an enemy. Why? Because the friend wants good for you and the enemy doesn't. They don't care about you. So the principle behind friendship in that verse is that friends exist to be for one another, to help one another grow, to be really specific. Friends help one another become like Jesus. Uh, sometimes that means rebuke. Sometimes that means encouragement. At all times, it's love, it's truth, and it's grace. And so Christian friends being for one another means they are for the work that God is doing in each other's lives. 
and they want to be a part of that. So when I ask the couple, are you friends? I'm asking, are you with one another? Are you, are you, is the relationship one challenge away from crumbling or is there some substance to it? In asking, are you for one another? I'm asking, look, are you excited? Not just about who they are now or what they look like or how they make you feel, but are you excited about who they're becoming in Christ? And you're excited to, to, to such a degree that you want to be a part of that in the life of your friend. You want to be a faithful friend in as much as you want to be a part of what God is using to bring Christ-likeness in their life. Kathy Keller has this great image where she says, most people in looking for a spouse, they're looking for a statue. And what she means by that is they're looking for a finished product. They're looking for like a chiseled piece of art. She says that's not what marriage is about, and so Christians do not look to marry a statue. Christians look to marry a block of marble. Isn't that flattering? Because what you know is you know human nature, and you know when you're marrying the block of marble, you expect the work. You're signing up for the work. You know I'm not marrying a finished product. I'm marrying someone who is in process. They're in the process of being formed. They're in the process of being shaped and, and chipped away and, and created ultimately into the image of God's beloved son. And I am a friend to them. The promise is I want to help them become who they in Christ were always meant to be. And so when I ask the couple, are you friends? It's simply this. Do you see in marriage that what you're signing up for is friendship? Do you understand that it is a with you, for you, intimate friendship? Okay, to come now to our point. We needed all that. In order to hear this, if you are married, don't forsake your friend. Don't forsake your friend. You've promised what you've signed up for, husband, what you've signed up for, wife, is to be a friend to your spouse, to be a with you, for you, intimate friend. The opposite of being with and for is forsaking. Instead of being with, I distance from. Instead of being for, I am against. Don't forsake your friend. It is the very thing that foolishness does, according to verse 16. What folly does is folly forsakes her companion, forsakes her closest friend. The word forsake literally means to leave, and it's the very word that we find in God's first comments about marriage in the Bible. Genesis 2, 24, what Taryn read for us. I'll read 25 as well. Therefore, a man shall what? You can respond. It's right there. Leave. <laughs> A man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. Before this verse, God plays matchmaker. He brings Adam and Eve and unites them together. He officiates their wedding. God was the guest of honor. Their garden, the garden was this beautiful outdoor wedding venue they got married at. They chose to save some money by not wearing anything. That all happens. <laughs> and then you get these truths about marriage. It's a, it's a staple truth that is repeated throughout uh, the Bible. Therefore, a man shall leave. The word leave in Genesis is the word forsake in Proverbs 2. One way to read Proverbs 2.17 is what foolishness does is foolishness left the one they were supposed to leave everyone else for. The essence of marital friendship is I am promising not to forsake this friend. If I have to leave someone or something, it's not you. And it's not cut your life off completely from everyone else, but it is a statement of relational priority. So husband and wife, when you stood, whatever that looked like, wherever that was, and you made a promise 
to your spouse. The promise was, you are my with you for you friend. I am your with you for you friend. I'm not going to leave you. I'm not going to forsake you. So hear me, friends. Don't forsake your friend. So maybe you're hearing that and you're like, hey, okay, I've got it. You've said it like 12 times. We're married. We're going to stay married. That's not the point. Um, I mean something higher than that, actually. Uh, It's not don't divorce your spouse. It's don't forsake your friend. There is a way to stop being friends and stay married at the same time. Fight against that. Don't forsake your friend is a challenge to always be pursuing friendship together in marriage. Always be moving towards one another as friends in marriage. Listen, friends, no marriage is neutral. Goodness. Every marriage is moving one direction or another. Every marriage is even, either moving towards closer friendship or it's moving away from friendship. Either moving closer together or moving further apart. Please hear me. Moving towards one another. I am with you and for you. You know what that takes? Work. Intentional, move towards my friend kind of work. Moving apart, growing distance, you know what that takes? Nothing. You don't have to do anything for that to happen. Like the drift that pulls something from the shore back out into the sea without resistance, without fighting for friendship, the natural drift between two sinners who promise to be intimate friends is not towards friendship, it's away from friendship. Now, there are a lot of ways that this can happen. I want to speak to one specifically. Often, the drift away from friendship is not a moment It's not some sort of um, egregious act to begin with. It's just a slow, subtle, uncontested drift apart. And I want to give words to it. I want to name it. In my experience, some in my own marriage that by God's grace, Carrie and I are fighting against, some in what I see just as a pastor, but I think it happens in stages. Maybe we start as friends, and these words will be on the screen behind me. We start as friends, but then we start drifting apart. And if there's a drift, the first place we drift to is we move from friends to just coexisting together. Not that there's major problems, right? But life just comes in between us. And so uh, what our conversations sound like is our conversations are more about our schedule than they are about our relationship. It's asking questions like, hey, uh, what does this week look like? Hey, what's going on with our budget? Hey, who's picking up the kids? Hey, don't forget I've got that work thing next weekend. And all that's just part of life. It's a natural part of life. But what starts missing are words like, hey, how are you? Hey, how are we? Let's go on a date. Hey, let's read something together. Um, How can I pray for you, husband? How can I pray for you, wife? Let's study God's word together. Hey, you're beautiful, and I'm glad I married you. Those are with you, for you words. And that kind of conversation is conversation that happens between intimate friends in a marriage. And when you start coexisting, that starts tapering off. Or maybe it it never existed at all, and you don't discover that until after you get married. And what has filled the space between friends when you're coexisting is life. (laughs) Life together just fills the space between friends. Just all of your tasks together. And instead of being with and for one another, we're just kind of co-managing the life that we've made together. And, And this starts to come out most clearly in conflict. There's conflict in every marriage. Even friends fight 
But when the marriage is marked by a, a coexisting, a drifting away from friendship, that conflict takes a certain form. Eventually what happens is someone just feels unpursued by the other and begins to name that. You know, we don't talk like we used to. Um, hey, we don't really make time for each other anymore. You don't make time for me. I haven't made time for you. See, one or both begin to get a sense that the friendship has lost something, that there's something that's fading. And the, hey, how are you? Hey, how are we? Hey, let's pray together. That becomes harder and harder. It feels awkward because it's been a long time. And if there's not a fight for friendship, if you're coexisting, what's needed is someone needs to stand and say, hey, I don't want to just coexist with you in this life. I am with you. I'm for you. You're my friend. Let's do this together as friends. If nobody stands and fights for the friendship and the drift continues, then you drift from coexisting to becoming competitors, where your relationship is marked by simply comparing how much each person is contributing to the relationship or the home or the life together and what the other person's not. Like I heard a quote from someone the other day. They said, um, no one told me after we had kids that 90% of my conversation with my husband would be fighting over who's more tired than the other. And it's true. And as funny as it is, there can be a sad side to that. Like something can happen in marriage where we keep running lists of all I'm doing and compare it to my running list of all my spouse is or isn't doing. And it's this weird competition around who is more deserving of a break than the other or who's doing more for the family or who's earned the right to just relax. And when you're competing, what has filled the space between friends, what turns friends into competitors, is the shared stress of life together. We each feel a bit overwhelmed by our life and by what the job needs or what the kids need or what our other commitments need. Uh, and all of that comes with weight, and that weight can separate friends. And what has happened, it's always accompanied by a disordered priority in the relationship. Um, the kids have become more of a priority than the marriage. The husband or the wife or both make the career more of a priority than the marriage. And there's conflict in every marriage, even friends fight. But when the marriage is marked by this kind of competing with one another, the form that the conflict takes is someone feels unseen or both feel unseen. You never help me like I need you to. I feel all alone in what I'm doing. I feel like you don't appreciate me. I feel like you don't respect me. I work hard all day and you don't seem to care. I feel unseen. And look, life is stressful. Life can be overwhelming. But friends do overwhelm together, not apart. Uh, friends do stress together, not apart. Look, uh, the point is this, that the friend is the kind of person that in the overwhelmed state of life, the question is, hey, are you okay to one another? How can I help? Somebody names, hey, I feel like we're missing each other lately because life's been so busy. Let's, hey, let's cancel something. Wouldn't that be so great? Let's cancel something that maybe we shouldn't cancel. Let's just go on a date. Hey, thank you for all that you do for us. Hey, life is stressful. Let's stress together. Better yet, let's trust God together because I think, friends, what makes us feel so tired in our life so often is not just that life can be overwhelming, but that we don't want to feel like we are overwhelmed all alone. So when a husband and a wife are with you, for you, friends, they do overwhelm together. Not only do I not feel alone, but I have someone who reminds me that what I'm doing matters. The fatigue comes from a faithful kind of work. So thank you, wife, for using your gifts and serving us. And thank you, husband, for using your gifts and serving us. And that's what it sounds like for friends to fight together. But if there's no kind of fight for friendship, 
If nobody stands and says, hey, I don't want to compete with you in our life together, I'm with you. I'm for you. Let's do this as friends. I promise to be your friend. If nobody stands and, and, and fights against that, then the drift continues. And I think from there we end up in a place where we become critics. And this is where your thoughts about your spouse, your words to your spouse, are all about what you wish was different about them, which is such a dangerous thing. Hey, church, would you lean into this part, please? It's really important. Because part of being married is seeing the unfiltered, unadorned version of one another. That's the vulnerability of marriage. I made a joke about it, but Adam and Eve were naked and were not ashamed in Genesis 2 because there was no sin. We are sinners, and we exist as sinners in whatever marriage we're in, and so we exist in those marriages as the uncovered version of us, which means we see one another's sin and we see one another's brokenness. You can't fake who you are in marriage, at least not for long. So the uncovered version with all of its flaws and sin and brokenness is on full display for the spouse. So I'll just use me right now. Uh, This, believe it or not, is the best version of me. This. At at least this is one of the spaces where this is the best version of me. Jamin preaching is one of the best versions of me. I have a lot of control over what I say and how I say it and what you see, especially in the 11. When things go bad in the 9, I just cut them out and do something completely different in this service. Um, But but this this is my best. These are the nicest clothes I have. I got these shoes two weeks ago. I hope you like them, right? This is my gift. God's gifted me to do this. Others are more gifted than I am, but I feel pretty good about who I am up here and what God's called me to do. And most of you will only ever know Jamin preaching. My wife, she knows me uncovered by all this. She knows Jamin angry, and she knows Jamin stressed. And she knows Jamin when he overreacts to criticism, and she knows Jamin when he's sinned against her, and she knows Jamin when he's failed to pursue her, and she knows Jamin when he's preached sermons that he's failed to live up to. She knows me unfiltered and unadorned and uncovered, and besides a holy God, no one has seen the worst of me like she has. Every single marriage in the room has that kind of sight on one another. There's what people see of you. There's that group of people that only get your best and they only see your best and they only see you cleaned up. And then there's the person your spouse sees. We all have a group of people in our life that see the best of us and then we all have a people who are closest to us who see the worst of us. And if you've been married for any length of time, you've seen the worst of one another. And that gives you power in the life of your spouse. Unique power in the life of your spouse. This sight that you know them, you know their fears, you know their brokenness, you know their weaknesses, you've seen them at their worst, and you'll do one of two things with that information. You will either use that information and you will be a friend to your spouse with that information. Remember, it's I want to be for you, I want to be part of the change God's bringing even at your worst, or you will be against them as a critic you will use it against them. Your voice will become a critic's voice. And when you become critics, what happens is the space between friends that used to be filled with with you, for you, friendship, it's filled with judgment. It's filled with accusation. It's believing the worst. 
And so what we know about the failures of our spouse and the weaknesses of our spouse, that get mixed in with our own insecurities and our sin. And so we begin building cases against them in our heads. And there's conflict in every marriage, even friends fight. But when friends have become competitors, that conflict is marked with the kind of fighting where love always feels like it's on the line. We're always defending ourselves against one another. And and the fighting is in response to this deep-seated fear. And the fear is this, if the person who has seen me at my worst, if the person who's seen my worst moments has become my biggest critic, who could possibly love me? If the person who's seen the uncovered version of me is against me, I must be unlovable. And that, friends, that's the very fear that married people were specifically put together to combat that there's a God, what we believe as Christians, there's a God who has seen the worst of you and loves you still. And as your friend, as your spouse and as your friend, I want to help you believe that that love is real and that love is true and that love is unwavering even on your worst days. Look, Revelation 12 calls Satan the accuser of the brothers and sisters. Romans 8 calls Jesus an intercessor for sinners made saints. You were placed as a friend in the life of your spouse to sound like Jesus to them. They already have an accuser. They don't need another one. Be a friend. See, and it's the kind of love that says, I see all of you, and I'm for you. And when you spouse wonder who could possibly love you, I am there to say, Jesus does, and so do I. And without that, goodness, if there's not a fight for friendship, if there's not somebody who stands up and says, I don't want to be your critic, I don't want to be your accuser, I want to sound like Jesus to you. If that doesn't happen, the drift just completes itself and friends end up as enemies. Love grows cold. Friendship is forfeited. Instead of with you and for you, you are apart and you are against. Um, Friends, if you're married, do you see yourself? Do you see your marriage? God, I think that God is asking something of us this morning, married couples. Don't forsake your friend. Fight against the drift. Be a friend to one another today. You know how to do that? One way to do that is to have this conversation. Make time today to ask and to name where you are. Ask one another as soon as you can. Hey, are we friends together? Husbands, I'd encourage you to initiate the conversation. Don't wait for her. Wife, if he doesn't, give him grace and you initiate. Give each other the space to be imperfect in this. But please... Please walk in obedience. Be faithful. Consider together, are we friends? Maybe use these categories if they're helpful. Don't if they're not. But are we coexisting? Ask, ask each other, do you feel unpursued by me? Are we competing? Ask one another, do you feel unseen or unappreciated? Do you feel like we're doing overwhelmed together or are we doing overwhelmed apart? Ask, have I become a critic to you? Does my voice fill your head as a voice that just affirms all the things that you hate about yourself? Do you feel unloved? Do I use your weaknesses and sin against you? A really good question to ask one another today. What is something you have been waiting to hear from me for a long time? I'm sorry. (laughs) I love you. I'm glad I married you. And look, I, I get it. Maybe some of you can't have this conversation alone. The marriage is just not in a place for that, and you need a third voice. If you need a third voice, seek that third voice out. You'll find it here if you seek it. And look, maybe you and your spouse have conversations like this often and things are going well. Praise God, have another one. 
What I sense deeply this morning, church, I love you, what I sense deeply this morning is that God is not giving us the option to do nothing because to do nothing is to keep drifting. Don't forsake your friend. Fight against that. Move towards one another. Okay, we need something. And by we, I mean all of us need something. Wherever you are, however this lands, stay with me. This is the most important part. Matthew eleven nineteen. Jesus is called a friend of tax collectors and sinners. John 15, 13, Jesus says, no one has greater love than this, that he lay down his life for his friends, and the next day he died on a cross. In John 21, a resurrected Jesus goes to his disciples. All of them had abandoned him in his time of need, and he sees them on the beach, and he speaks to them. And you know what he calls them? The first word he speaks, he looks with gentle eyes and a soft voice, and he calls them his friends. Jesus is a faithful friend to you. He's with you. He's for you. He's Savior. He's Lord. He's King. And in Jesus, you have a friend. And we need this truth this morning. Jesus is the kind of friend who will never forsake you. I just want to speak that over a few stories and we'll be, we'll be done. If you're here and you're married and drifting and you know you need some work to do, you know you need to have a conversation and you need strength and you need wisdom for having that conversation, Jesus is with you. Jesus is for you. He is a friend to you. If you're here and you're single, uh, you are not married and you want to be. You're not married and you used to be. You're not married and, you're, and, and you'll never be. If that's you, Jesus is a friend to you, a faithful friend. He's with you and for you. He sees you. He comforts you. And he is the one who sees you at your worst and loves you still. He will not forsake you. You are not unseen. You are not alone. You are not unlovable. Jesus is your faithful friend. If you are here and you have forsaken your friend, I need to be specific. If you're here and you have sabotaged your friendship in marriage or you're in the middle of sabotaging your friendship in marriage through selfishness, pride, abuse, infidelity, you have a spouse who has been and is trying to be a friend to you, and you, like foolishness itself, has forsaken your companion, you need to repent before a holy God. Like there's a marriage in here that someone is abandoning, a covenant that someone is breaking, and I don't know you, but you know you, and you can surround that with all the excuses that you can invent, but God brought you here this morning to hear this, don't forsake your friend. Turn to Jesus, keep your promise, and in the scandalous mercy of God, if you turn to Jesus, he will be a faithful friend to you, right where you are, as you are, even in all that you've done. Don't forsake your friend. In Jesus, you have a friend who will love you as you are and who will lead you out of the mess that you're making. And if you're here and you're the other side of that story, you've been forsaken, you're being forsaken, you're trying to be a friend and you sat here and you listened to everything I've said and you know you're not perfect but you've been fighting for friendship but you're the only one and it takes two and if that's your story, look right at me, Jesus will not forsake you. I've thought about you a lot this week and in thinking of you, I've thought of an old hymn that we used to sing at my dad's church. This is for all of us but especially for those who are in the need of healing who have been or are being forsaken. The hymn is called what a friend we have in Jesus. Here are some of the words. 
What a friend we have in Jesus. All our sins and griefs to bear. What a privilege to carry everything to God in prayer. Are we weak and heavy laden, cumbered with a load of care? Precious Savior, still our refuge. Take it to the Lord in prayer. Do thy friends despise, forsake thee. Take it to the Lord in prayer. In his arms he'll take and shield thee. Thou will find a soulless there. What a friend we have in Jesus. All our sins and grief to bear. Husbands and wives, marriage is intimate friendship. Don't forsake your friend. Brothers and sisters, Jesus is a faithful friend. He will not forsake you. God, we love you. God, we need you. I just have hopes this morning for what you would do among us, God. And I just feel the limits of my abilities to do the kinds of things that only you can do, God. So would you please, Holy Spirit, you've promised to be with us. Jesus, you've promised to never leave us. So would you be present with us this morning and would you do a kind of healing work in the hearts of my brothers and sisters? Lord, for the, the, the married couple that looks and, and they're like, okay, we're drifting. Lord, would you give them the courage, the easiest thing to do is to wait for someone else to start the conversation. The easiest thing to do is to get busy later today and say, we'll do it tomorrow. Would you, Jesus, convict the heart? Would you plant the feet in your truth? Would you open the mouth with grace? And would husbands and wives have conversations today that they've been needing to have for a long time? Would husbands and wives continue a conversation that they've been having for a long time? Would husbands and wives, God, look to one another and fight for friendship together? I don't want to drift from you. I'm with you. I'm for you. I'm your friend. For the person who's single, single and wants to be married, Single and used to be married. Single and raising kids all by themselves, God. Single and grieving, a marriage lost. Jesus, would you, as a faithful friend who will never forsake, would you just be so present as if they could feel the arms of a friend wrapping around them and you would whisper into their soul right now, I see you, I won't leave you. You're doing a good job. To have me is to have all you need. For the man or woman, God, who's just making a mess of things right now, and to hear their sin called out provokes them, God. Would you turn that provocation into sorrow, into repentance, that they would find you like a younger brother, that they would run home to you, Father. For the person hurting, who has been hurt by someone who is supposed to be a friend, would you comfort God? You know what they need. Would you comfort? We love you, and we need you.
and we're grateful for Jesus, our forever friend. Amen.